podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty, and I'm here with Vicar of Virility, Chris Prunty. On today's episode, we close out our exploration into the <laughs> sky of a thousand lands by exploring the plot hooks and scenarios that we are bringing to the table inside of the setting. Chris, why don't you start us off with this episode? The idea for my plot hook is also a little bit of a uh, organization that I wanted to introduce. So it's a bit of a cheat. But uh, I forget which movies I've been watching recently or uh, what have you, but I've been seeing a lot more of the Explorer Society. So I wanted it. Uh, I don't even know if it existed, but it was just uh, a group of uh, ex- British gentlemen who would be like, I want to be given $200,000 because I'm going to explore this huge area in South America. I need 10 men and uh, all of these supplies. I'm going to be there for three years. Uh, Please finance my exploration. And usually it was for, uh, sometimes it was for very valid reasons where like I map this area and other times it was for, I believe that there is a lost city in this uh, area. And oftentimes it was just for colonialism reasons. Anyhow, yes. Um, I wanted to do uh, the plot hook <laughs> being uh, an explorer society and just to have it almost an entire campaign of where you are a group of explorers against a rival group of explorers. And uh, you're both looking for the same goal, but only one of you can get like the fame and everything that's behind it. Uh, I, there's even like a video game that I really loved of it that was called like Curious Expedition. I've Have never ever... played that, but I've heard very good things. It's fun. You can turn one of your uh, fellow explorers into a mad-eating creature that is a beast in combat, but will probably eat you in the night. Hmm. Sounds well, like your alley. What I like about that is you could also have different um, factions be the explorers too. So if you you could even like if you wanted it to to be the explorers are actually. Um, groups of weird walkers like under in the underworld or the under uh, the, the, the ruined world you could have that be the base of operations rather than the traditional um, you know people on the top who are potentially like relic hunters or members of the empire and so on such on yeah and I also wanted maybe the chance of like a red herring kind of thing of where maybe certain of the plot hooks that you give to people don't exist the idea of going for them is part of what actually made people want to explore and find that it's just like there is a city of literal gold no that doesn't really exist it was just like but what if it does so i do want to be careful when you give advice like that when you have red herrings make sure that there's at least something interesting involved because to send people on a wild goose chase and have them come up with literally nothing but the experience is so fucking frustrating i cannot <laughs> explain to you how oh, yeah. not to do that? Yeah, could, yeah, you can you can stumble upon something else, perhaps. Even if it's not like a right, golden like city, at least have it be like a painted city that's all yellow and everything. It's just like, oh, uh, we got what happened here. <laughs> this is still interesting, but right, or at least have it tie into a greater plot, right? Mm-hmm. Like, let's say that you're going, you're on the way to this. Let, let's say that you never even make it to the city because some other plot kind of interjects on its way there. And then you get embroiled in that instead. Like something like that, I think is a little bit more interesting. 
Yeah. Oh, I, I I would get so mad at you if we spent you know like twenty sessions trying to get to a fucking city and then it's just New Jersey. <laughs> It's, like, it's oh, just New Jersey. Uh, yeah. Oh god. It was like a handmaiden's tale, like not handmaiden's tale. Uh, the village twist, where it turns out just like, no, you've been in New Jersey the entire time. I, so, I have Chris, to tell you about a story from New Jersey really quickly because okay, it causes me like post-traumatic stress thinking about it when you said New Jersey. Remember, we were coming back from a trip and we got trapped in New Jersey for like two hours. We finally got to the like the the exit that would take us out of New Jersey, but there was like some police action blocking it, and then it ended up sending us right back to the very beginning, and we had another <laughs> two hours in New Jersey. And I, oh, I just I can't. New Jersey makes me want to like cry whenever I hear the word. Sorry, the caucus junction for me is like a portal into hell, and <laughs> yes. I have spent unknown amount of time in. So it's I'm, it's funny you mentioned that. I've I've only been to the nicer parts of New Jersey. I've only ever been to Princeton, Princeton Junction, and the place where Rutgers is, which is where my wife is from. So I, that's basically all my experience with New Jersey is the nicer parts of it. So Caucus Junction oh, is wait. where New Newark yes story happened. So yes, oh we, we can't tell that story on the podcast right now, but I do <laughs> love that story. Uh, but no, real quick, I want to tell you about the first time I I entered new jersey uh i was going to new york comic-con with some friends and i had fallen asleep on the car ride there and i and i woke up and i'm like (laughs) are we in new jersey and the guy who's from new jersey was like yes and i'm like oh and 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 yeah there was no there was no other words that needed to be said I just smelled that we were in New Jersey. <laughs> I feel like we showed on New Jersey once before in this podcast as well. I don't remember when, but I know we did. Probably. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's the Garden Again, State. I, I have yeah. no problem with New Jersey. I think it's a totally fine state. I mean, at least it's not the penis of America like Florida. Uh, don't get and, me I mean, I say that as someone from of America. <laughs> yeah. Let's move away from our New Jersey talk and get back yeah. into what brings us to the podcast in the first place. <laughs> uh, so we have the we have the Royal British Society. So so let me ask you this, Chris. It, how is this organization organized? Is it state run? Is it an empire thing or is it a third party kind of organization? Oh, I saw it as a a somewhat fraternal organization of where uh, like Freemasons of where it's not sponsored by the government by any means, but there's plenty of people who have strings that they can pull and such because the empire or the government would uh, benefit from this, but there's no direct tie of where it's just like, Oh, you are this uh, person you're appointed by the government. No, it's just affluent people who want to go out and explore and have the means to do so and then try and, uh, lean on other people to be like, hey, you know our dues that we pay? Uh, what if we use some of those to uh, get me to go out there and find some relics? Oh, okay, I got you. So it's, so it's kind of like a, like the Pathfinder Society from yeah. the Pathfinder setting in that way. Okay, I can get behind that. Following from Chris's idea, I actually had an uh, a, like a parallel concept um, that I'll just touch on really quickly, and I'll switch to a different a different concept that's, that's similar. But I, I would add to his idea that there's different formats you could use for that. So you could 
you could portray that um, if you were doing like a game as it was a hex crawl potentially. So you could have like an overworld or an underworld hex crawl if they're exploring either the skies or um, you know the ocean slash ruined landscape down there. Um, or if you're writing like a story, you could write it in a, an epistolary format where they're different. They're like letters from the expedition team. That would be kind of fun to read. Um, you know the the journal of people who went on this 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 exploration. Um, but yeah, just to, hold on, yeah. hold on. I, I do want to cut in real quick because that yeah. actually sounds like a really fun way to have a game in general. It's just mm -hmm. like, it, it's like a writing exercise where everyone writes in their journal log and then passes it and oh, then they indeed. have to continue on. That sounds like a really fun, like independent exercise or yeah, actually be cool. That could be a really great session zero to get you into the role-playing set, like role-playing oh. game to begin with. You know, everyone starts out by writing about a doomed expedition and mm -hmm. they each share parts of it. And then you build the world by doing that as well. Oh, that's brilliant. I would totally be into that. Because that's like, it's like, it, it could work for either a narrative game or like, you know, a simulationist game. Like either way, you're setting up the world called players, you know? Absolutely. And you get to like introduce dangers and like, you know, world like weird and wild like locations and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Okay. Last correspondence from the previous expedition is really neat, especially if it gives you like partial maps or anything. Oh, yes. yeah, because they're all, they're all mission hooks, basically. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we. Okay, so this is going to happen now. I'm pretty we sure that we're doing something like this. I'm into for this. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's dope. Okay. Next, ne I'm sorry. Continue on, Daniel. You had a so, point. <laughs> Yeah, so, so jumping off from that, um, I had a concept of what I'm calling like a mission depot. Um, and a lot of times in, in media now, we, we don't really have a lot of serialized fiction. Like a lot of the writing that at least that happens on television is big story arcs where all the episodes hook together to make a larger um, main story. Um, so the kind of stuff we saw in the 90s or died, which really died out at the beginning of this millennium, I'd say, is um, <clears throat> serialized fiction where each episode is self-contained. So if you had a Mission Depot set up, you could, it could be, for example, the Explorer Society that Chris was talking about, but you could also have um, potentially, you know, the Gunpowder Rebels who are pinned down and they have to take these targeted missions to go out to like make more progress against the Empire, for example. Or you could have, for example, um, the secret cult that's in the service of that authoritarian leader we have, and we know it's deals with time wizards. You could potentially have like a spy or assassin guild um, that receives certain missions to go out um, to undermine, you know, their their enemies. Um, and you could even have like maybe there's uh, you know a group among of weird rockers who are trying to establish more territory down there, and they have to take individual missions to um, I don't know like stabilize parts of the world and establish you know bases. The idea is that whatever it is, they're self-contained. So if if this is fiction that you're writing, you know you can have a bunch of short stories from different perspectives where each mission accomplishes one little thing. But at the end of the day, the the point of the structure is that things resolve back to the status quo. So you could be telling a larger story across all of them. Um, I'm thinking kind of like the Foundation series by Isaac Asimov, where um, it's told through a lot of um, individual stories over time. So you have a perspective, you have kind of a base of operation, which is your status quo, and then you have a way of um, telling a little bit more about the world, but returning to that status quo by the time the mission is over. So we're basically talking about like a, a monster of the week, as I know it, which is where every story is mostly self-contained, and then transitioning over into something that could potentially have an overarching story. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think that's been a really popular method of a lot of TV recently, where it starts out as monster of the week to kind of introduce the setting and the characters. And then as it continues on, you get more into a deeper uh, plot and arc to the story, essentially. Yeah, it's something that I feel like we've been missing because more and more I'm noticing television moving away from the the strictly serialized format. Like, even if you think of um, our most popular or, or my favorite one, which is like Trek, the old Treks um, mostly were self-contained and occasionally you'd have two-part episodes um, and you might have the one main overarching story, but it really wasn't touched on in each individual episode. It might be touched on at one or two towards the beginning and end. But for the most part, it's it's self-contained episode to episode. Like the X-Files is another example where they have Monster of the Week. But even that one, I feel like, was moving closer to more modern setup where yeah. most of the story, like Breaking Bad, is the main story. So there really aren't self-contained episodes. So I think like, and I, I don't know if, I don't know what the status quo is in a lot of role-playing, but um, I imagine because we're influenced by what's happening in media at large, people may be designing now games that are built towards one larger um you know, payoff rather than just letting things happen as they go. Um, and I think that that's something we're missing nowadays is, is that serialized format. That's interesting because I, I feel like with TV, at least that has a lot to do with the Netflix or the popularity of Netflix and binging, right? Where yes. when you consume media like Netflix, it's something that you want all at once. And that's very different compared to the nature of role-playing where mm-hmm. you're essentially guaranteed to do several hours of role playing at once and so you yeah that that's that's an interesting way to kind of look at it that that weird kind of interplay between the two yeah so you want something so essentially your your plot hook is we need more serialized adventures yeah i feel like there's a certain comfort in being able to return to a space that you know the status quo is going to be restored by the end of the episode like if we think of, of a lot of even shakespeare plays the 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 objective or one way of reading it is that at the end of the day the the, the order of the universe is restored to the way it was something upsets that order but then you get back to it and that's what's stabilizing or safe about the story um not to say that you can't have big you know moments that change everything but at least like for someone who just wants to get into a story, have a little experience and then come back to where they started. This is a way to do that, you know, over a long period of time. Yeah. I honestly think that especially when it comes to character development, the smaller moments often define characters better than the big world changers do. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's why, why stuff like Trek is so good at character development. So you have to, you have the space to have an episode about like, them just having a romantic conversation for 60 minutes, you know, whereas mm-hmm. you can't really do that if you have seven episodes and you've got to tell a whole story. Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of smaller moments that are kind of telling and, and character building, my scenario that I'm bringing, I'm not really bringing up, well, I guess it's kind of a plot hook, but it's more like I want to see this scenario play out. And for me, it has to do with the interplay between the Empire and those who aren't in the empire and the conflict that kind of happens between them. It's very antagonistic. And we had a conversation about that old uh, twilight zone slash outer limits episode that we were talking about. And I was like, Oh, I'm just going to steal that. Cause that sounds awesome. And my idea for this scenario is these two ships that are in, you know, are, are basically, you know, in a pitched battle and they take both of themselves down. And they each crash land on the surface. 
that are that they're to the point where they can basically see each other. So now they have to work together in order to get off the surface of the planet because in a couple of days, you're going to be experiencing that 10 year jump in time. And it's obviously something that they both want to work against because they don't want to be stuck down here and age 10 years in a day. So that's the whole conceit that the, the conflict that I really love is, you know, you have two strong characters or two groups of strong characters that are forced to work together despite ideological differences and the interplay between those characters as they're forced to work towards a singular goal together. I think that would be really, really fun to see, you know, whether it be like, oh, well, our ship has these parts and your ship has those parts. If we work together, you know, or, or let's say that there's a third thing that they both have to find, but they both have to work together for it, then they can get away. But if they don't work together, then they're both dead or they're both, you know, severely aged as a result. I think that's fantastic. That's like classic character um, conflict that would, you could set that up as a story, you could set up as, as a one shot. Like, I think there's so much opportunity there. Um, you can center it around the two captains specifically around the crew. Oh, yeah. um, there's just so many ways to approach it. And I just love that the premise is super simple and it's something that anyone can get into, like what, no matter what you're playing or, or how you're approaching it as a story. Yeah, I wanted to go with something kind of high concept because my other ideas are a little bit more convoluted. <laughs> well, kind of, but, you know. Uh, no, I think yeah. it's super down to earth, you know. Yeah. Um, Literally. Can... <laughs> yeah. and, and they can crash anywhere. Like, they can crash. Like, I mean, I, obviously crashing um, in the underworld setup we have uh, makes sense because it creates that immediate um, uh, issue of the entropy slash time aging them. Um, but you could also have them crash like above in the skies too, or maybe on some wreck that um, is going to be hit by one of those storms that we invented. There's many places you could put them. I think it's just that yeah. the, the idea is that if they don't work together, they're both screwed. Yes, the, and it's such a simple idea. And also, I love the idea of like this could be a really fun way to get two separate playing groups together for the first time. You know, especially oh. if you have one who runs the rebels and one who runs the empire. And have them, you know, fight against each other. I think that'd be really fun. Well, I've never, I've never done that. But that would be so cool to have. Do you mean two different like RPG groups? Yes. They're running different parts of the world, like, or even yes. they could be the same. I mean, I don't know how you do the same players at the same time, but the idea of two different factions is neat. I, I thought so as well. Yeah. I really like the concept of as far as that. I would like to see how it would play out. Yeah. I have you ever done two separate groups before that meet? No, I haven't. Uh, I, for a while, ran two separate groups and had them, like, unknowingly interact with each other a little bit, or somewhat knowing. Uh, it's hard as hell with uh, getting both to line up time-wise, so sometimes you have to really be just like, oh, so uh, do I hear back from anything that's going on over there? Or just like, N no, no, it's because we haven't been able to schedule that session yet. <laughs> Death of any game. Yes. You know, yeah. So, yeah. Also, I'm pretty sure I played in that game. You did. Yeah. <laughs> As did Daniel. I did. Oh, oh yeah. I know that. Yeah. You forgot the spies. That. Oh. Yeah. Who everyone else wanted to murder, but me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everyone really wanted to murder them. I I don't know. That was like the one game where I played someone who was all about like 
justice and jailing people non-lethally and everyone else is like, why don't we fucking kill Wait, him? Get it I, over. I was your dad in that one, right? You were my dad, yes. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I was a drunk and a, and a bastard, so it makes sense for me. <laughs> well, To be his dad? <laughs> well, it's a lot of murder spies. <laughs> There's so many dark directions that we're not going to go into because we're going to go ahead and pivot into the next idea. Who's oh up God. next? It was fitting that you brought up uh, uh, Ahab. And, and the monster hunting that you guys were talking about is I wanted uh, skyships or something that was hunting the beast of the air because we haven't really talked about anything as far as like uh, weird beasts that are flying through the air or like sky whales or something like that. But I feel like it's important to put that there is something in the sky that people can take as far as resources rather than having to constantly go to the ground. And I wanted it to be something that uh, is an industry in itself, kind of like uh, whaling or something, because that brings me back to, for some reason, I'm picturing this being in the mid-1800s. Yeah, I kind of get like a weird industrial vibe to this whole thing as well, which is fitting. You know, whaling for sure, that's actually a really brilliant idea. Uh, I do love the idea of sky whaling and might, <laughs> might I suggest a name, which is the sky viathan. <laughs> sky viathan. Oh, it fits with our title. Yes, I, I agree. If, if we're gonna have, yeah. So yeah, but, these, so people hunt the sky viathans. Go ahead. I thought it would be a way to, for them to get uh, some sort of natural uh, ballast because only the Empire has access to that, uh, forgot what we called it, but it was... Uh, Your dumb so name stuff. that you came up with. It was dumb, yes, I do remember that. Oh, suspendium. 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 <laughs> I thought Chris and, called it spundanium. Oh, spundanium, spundanium. that's right. Suspend- no, no, that, so that, is it suspendium? Listen, it's a made-up <laughs> word. Listen to your heart. <laughs> It's a regional thing. Some people call it <laughs> the Empire. The calls it call it yeah. <laughs> like aluminium. It makes sense. Oh my god! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I wanted uh, some people to be able to hunt these things and both use it for resources. And also, I it, it just kind of goes into where at one point I want someone to put like buildings on the back of one of these sky leviathan things and ride it. Maybe we can have like reverse sorry, sorry. going on. Sky Viathan, <laughs> sir. What, what did I say? Sky Leviathan. It's a Sky, sky Viathan. Okay. I'm so sorry. Thank you. We're even closer to that terrible movie now. Oh, God, you're right. Wait, what? Did that happen in that movie? I didn't see oh. the movie. I saw the trailer. Well, no, but there was there were cities that want you to eat each other. Now you have Sky Whales with cities on top of them. <laughs> Potentially. I wasn't thinking city size. I was thinking like ship size. Oh, so like riding the moonworm. Yeah. Okay. Why does that sound so? Yeah, that sounds like a sex thing. Just talk it's Futurama. I have ridden the mighty moonworm. Oh. Oh yeah. It I didn't sound sexual at the time, but when. Yeah, that's very sexual. Now that we think about it. Yeah. <sighs> oh, uh, real quick, I do want to bring up. I, I do want to bring this up. Catching one of those Skyviathans must be tremendously dangerous because if you kill it in the air, right? Or, or like, how how would catching it work? Do you is your goal to essentially drag it down to the earth where you can kill it and then toss it on your ship, or is it like 
Do you have nets underneath it to catch it while it falls? I was picturing uh, harpoons and ride it into exhaustion. Not very oh. humane, but you know. Okay. Well, I mean, whaling isn't humane. So yeah, I know. Like, setting, it's fine. Well, okay. So, but again, it's going to like sink eventually. You could have um, special. Maybe maybe there are the regular ships that hunts, but there might also be like carrier ships. So like where the where the larger bases and it follows cl not closely behind but some distance behind. So maybe like they're saying they ride it to exhaustion and then bring in the carrier ship so it can collapse on it. Yeah, yeah that's kind of what I was thinking. Like there were two ships that basically have a giant net in between them and they catch it as it falls. Mm -hmm. Like like you you need the faster ships to catch it, but once you like harpoon it and then you can slow it down so eventually the bigger ships can catch up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've just I was wondering whether it would have natural ballast that would just keep it afloat. Oh, like maybe its heart is made of the same material as the as the moon stuff that makes things float. Something like that. Something that like that is why people want it so that they can not have to rely on the empire for uh, ballast. Oh, I love that because then oh, it's like a, a cool. Yeah. yeah, and in a sense, it's whale oil. That that is. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I can see that. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. I can support this idea. Just to clarify, your idea then is we're going to be sky whaling. <laughs> Maybe you are like there's different plot hooks that you could take from that. You could yeah. be the organization of doing it. You could be a group that's trying to stop it. You could be uh, someone who had their entire ship destroyed by one of them. And now you're hunting one. And uh, did you happen to lose a leg in the process? Yes, that's what I was <laughs> Also, I just realized the Empire could also hunt these things. And instead of, you know, trying to harvest them, they're basically just trying to destroy them as wholly as possible. So the other Keep people their monopoly. get the resources. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. you could also add from a mythology point of view that perhaps these beasts are in some way descended from the three beasts that govern the world. So there may be a, a religious aspect to killing them in the sense that the Weird Walkers view them as... as you know, um, precious Sacred. in a different sense. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool too. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting things that you can do with that idea. That's great. Uh, let's see. Next you're going to say, so. no, I can't do it. Yeah. Uh, who, Daniel, did you bring your second idea yet or no? I do have another idea. No. Did you bring your second one yet? Or is it? Oh, are no. we on three no, for you? Okay, so no, yeah, go ahead and hit it. Hit us with yours. Or do you have a transition for it? Mm, not really. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't either. So yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. In our um, cyberpunk series, we talked about the heist, um, breaking into some place and getting you know an asset out. Um, we also briefly touched on the reverse heist, which I, I'm still not sure I totally understand what it is, but I think it involves like putting something there and then um, like in advance and acting on that. Um, now, what I would like to talk about is the siege, uh, where it's similar to a heist in that you get a team together, um, but the goal of the team is to extract something, um, but is, is actually to take, to take control or to uh, gain advantage in a location. So the tactics are similar to the heist in that you're trying to get in and steal something unknown. But with the siege, the attack is known um, the by, by the people you're attacking. So it's a question of how do you get in there, survive, and then execute whatever your plan is. Um, popular sieges um, 
you know, in, in fiction. Um, the Death Star attack really isn't one because it was more like a heist. It was a secret attack. But once they've got mm-hmm. alerted, it became kind of a siege in order to escape. So in terms of sieging a location, um, one that comes to mind that's pretty obvious would be the Empire's um, island itself um, in that it's heavily guarded um, and it's hard to make an approach without being noticed. So perhaps, you know, the gunpowder rebels, they need to extract an asset like uh, an individual they need to, that's been imprisoned. Um, or perhaps they need a secret information um, that they know the Empire has. So now it's a question of like, how do you create diversion enough to get into one part of it? Then how do you assess all of the uh, resistance you'll face as you get to that part of the, the location, get the asset, and how do you get out? Um, another approach could be, um, you know, in terms of location, maybe you're trying to assault a heavily guarded like Weird Walker or Temple, and um, they, they have intelligence that you're coming, so now it's a question of like, okay, well, how do we make our way through an unknown set of traps and, and, and dangers to get to whatever artifact we're trying to lift? Um, basically, the, the, the siege mission becomes more about tactics than it is about, um, you know, carefully plotting your approach. Um, and it's similar to the heist. Uh, the question of building the team and the characters in the team is what's interesting from a narrative point of view. Um, because, you know, you could have the hothead who you've got to balance with the person who's all about ops versus, um, you know, the stealthy person who's freaking out because none of their tactics are going to work. Um, and <laughs> you could team a pair together, separate teams that are have opposite um, goals, but they need to work together for the sake of the siege. Um, so you could, for example, have, um, I don't know, weird walkers who are suspicious of um, the gunpowder rebels because they're against the empire, but together they have to work against them to, to accomplish this particular siege and get information out. There's a lot of different approaches you can take. Um, but the idea is that danger is obvious and aware. the danger is apparent to both sides. It's a question of how do you mitigate the danger and how do you execute a plan with the least losses? Let me ask you this, Daniel, what would you say is the difference between a siege and a straight up dungeon delve? Like, you know, one one that RPG players are far more familiar with. Yeah, in the dungeon 12, you don't really know much about the dungeon. Like, a lot of it is unknown. And so, in a sense, it's in between. It's not like a heist because, I mean, it's like a heist in that you have to be careful how you're progressing through the dungeon. And it's like a siege in that you're. it doesn't really matter if you're detected because if you're detected, there's just always going to be more resistance. But with the siege you have some knowledge of what you're attacking and you have some knowledge of the sort of response that the, that the, you're going to receive once you go down there. So it's a question of like, do we have the resources to complete the siege? You know, how do we uh, use our resources carefully um, so we can get to the, to the asset and get out. Whereas in a dungeon, like you don't even know necessarily what the final room contains or what the rooms you're going to encounter contain. So that from a GM perspective, this was an RPG, he might actually give you the map and say, here's what you know of this base and here's the assets. And obviously he's going to have some secrets that'll spring on you when you didn't, when you least expected it. But with the dungeon, you're presented with kind of a, a black grid that gets exposed as you go. So it's somewhere in between a heist and a siege. A siege, you know what's going to happen. Now it's a question of can you execute your plan and account for unknowns safely. So it's all about tactics. Let me say this. This sounds closer to what I would call a raid. Where, yeah, or a raid, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would probably categorize it along that because it's a tactical strike with a definitive purpose. Exactly. To me, a siege is more like a prolonged attack on a fortified area. 
this sounds like you're going in and you're striking at the heart of something and you're going in, you're getting out, you have a purpose, you're, you're, you know, you have the lay of the land, you're already good to go. Yeah, I would, I would say it's a siege from the perspective of the people being attacked. So a raid is probably more, more apt because like they're being sieged and you're raiding them basically. Understood. Understood. Yeah, yeah. I am really trying to think of that dragon from Molten Core in World of Warcraft, just to make a joke, but it's... Nefarian? Is that what's the name of it? I thought it was... Or are you talking about Anixia? Anixia, that was it, thank you. God, that was going to bother me. But the timing's gone. gone. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, you know what what they say about the the biggest thing in in, in comedy is, right? Timing. Timing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible, and I love it. Uh, <laughs> I might just keep that in. <laughs> that's how, that's so how that is. For my second idea that I had, I'm actually going to be doing something a little bit different where I'm actually going to be not retconning, but I'm going to go into alternate history essentially, where there is no empire. And I, w- I was thinking about this and I thought to myself the 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 failed empire or the, or the big bad empire, while it's a great trope that I think has its place, I was thinking that in the island where the time moon is, instead of us having it be the place of the empire, having it just be one great neutral zone. Where, where everyone comes together. There's no empire. There's only the sky pirates. There's only different factions of sky pirates. And this giant mega city that is on a floating rock is where people can actually come to, you, you know, it's where negotiations happen. It's where trades happen. It's where alliances happen. It's where wars are, you know, begun and ended on this particular neutral zone, because it's the only place that people can come and land for any particular stretch of time. And I thought that idea, the idea of this massive mega city, that's just a floating mega city where there's not really any particular power base is really interesting to me. I love the idea of giant mega city campaigns, and this is a definite shift away from the adventurous aspect of the setting and more towards hey, I want to play a game that's about intrigue. I want to play a game that's about city living. And it just so happens to be in a really cool setting. And oh, oh, and the other thing that I want to talk about. So the faceless emperor that we had previously, they still exist. But instead of being the head of an empire, they are now the head of a secretive cult that is trying to manipulate everything within the city itself. I love that that decenters things. Um, like, as you said, like, we're used to um, kind of the Empire trope. Um, and although I think we're doing something kind of fun with it here, like, it's it's even more fun to have more like a sigil city that's like this conglomeration of all kinds of cultures and factions. Um, and the decentering part of it makes it such that, you know, you can really play any, any point of view you want um, and not have to worry about alliances. Yeah, that's kind of what I wanted when I was in when I was engaging in this idea. And also, I think it's if, if this were me, I would actually probably retcon most of this. So the Empire is either fallen or never existed in the first place. This is probably the biggest departure that I've taken from all of the previous ideas that we've had. 
just because I think I think it's a more interesting story to tell when you have this kind of neutral infraction zone, essentially, to talk about and, and play in. You could even do it where uh, maybe the rebellion or whatever did work out, but they couldn't hold on to everything. And so now it became like a weird fractured city or literal city part states kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Where it's more like gangs of New York than... Oh, that, yes, that's actually the vibe that I was going with is like straight up gangs in New York, mm -hmm. where it's a matter of everyone has their territory and there's all sorts of political machinations happening and stuff like that. That's that's actually a major vibe that I was going for. I'm glad that you brought that up. You don't even have to retcon. Like you could just say this is the future state of the setting, like after the Empire Falls. You know, I thought about this. Yeah. I thought about doing that, but then I realized just how close it was to the new Star Wars trilogy, and I decided <laughs> that I didn't want to bring it up. <laughs> the new Star Wars trilogy did not happen. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. By the way, on the other side of the planet, there's actually a bunch of, you know, uh, don't steel. Do it. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, do yeah I was going to do it. I'm not going to do it now. I'm just going to skip that. <laughs> Don't you open your fucking mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question for you, though. So like, given this new mega city and the neutrality of it, and then also, like, like once I'm sure there's still, like, floating other city-states around it, how do you um, square in the world beneath to this? You don't really have to. Nothing else really changes, right? Like, no. there, it's, it's just a matter... It, it becomes less a conflict between empire and not, and more mm -hmm. a matter of mutual... Uh, mutual survival more than anything else or and this is the other idea that I was kind of milling about but I ultimately didn't find you know very much ground to it but there could just be an idea of hey we're trying to get the moons back together or at least get it so where we're not experiencing this terrible time decay when you try when you you know land on the ground we want things to go back to what is essentially kind of a normalcy for them it becomes hopeful. Yeah, exactly. It becomes a little bit more hopeful. Like that that's yeah. actually kind of the idea that I had in mind is like what what can we do to give them hope, bring them back to the point where they don't have to live in the sky anymore. You could spin it too. Like, so you could have like that total hope punk, that's what their overall goal is. And then like if we preserve um, the idea that the faceless leader is actually one of the beasts, he could that one could be their antagonist that's secretly trying to like help them get to that point so he can take over all of it or alternatively you know maybe the beast is just trying to restore its its worlds and go home you know maybe yeah. it doesn't actually have any ill will you can play it either way the plot hook that i had everyone thought... shut the fuck up everyone <laughs> shut up now because i'm going next and i'm talking about <laughs> werewolf. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> listen I'm throwing werewolves on yeah. the moon in this setting. And do here's it. how I'm going to fucking do it. All right. Do it. All right. I, I was like, wait a minute. We have a setting where there's three moons. We have a setting where moons are a major part of the story. How are we not talking about motherfucking werewolves? Do it. So, yeah. So guess what? Fuckers. We're doing werewolves now. And this is what's going to happen. All right. It is a horror scenario where perhaps you're playing some regular ass people. Perhaps you're not playing some regular ass people.
my idea is that you could be playing a regular campaign and you enact this particular aspect and then you switch positions to let me get into the scenario some heroes uh find a prison ship or or perhaps a a refugee ship whatever that is controlled by the empire right and this empire in particular knows that this ship is going to be taken over and captured by the heroes. It's a trap. And what they've done is they've filled the ship partially full of werewolves. That, <laughs> As you because, want to do. Yeah, it's a ticking time bomb. If, you know, eventually they're going to be like, yeah, we're here to help you. We're going to grab this ship full of people. We've saved them. And then the next full moon you got fucking werewolves destroying an entire ship city on their own. And how terrifying is that, that you can't escape? The only way not to get turned into a werewolf or get torn apart is to jump overboard. And it's a limited space. You're, you're, you know, you're essentially trapped with horrifying monsters. Why not? Right? Like that's, that's a cool fucking horror scenario if i've ever like that's basically alien but with werewolves also werewolves on the moon yes thank you werewolves (laughs) on the moon it's hap it's finally happening i've had this idea forever werewolves on the moon happened okay good take my money shut up and take Uh, my money just take it thank you thank you god i would watch that movie it's it, I think it'd be really cool also I mean I, I don't know how you'd work in the fantasy aspect of it but goddamn I just uh, I, I think why hasn't there been a, a sci-fi made for TV movie that is exactly this <laughs> well they didn't have a, a cool time moon setting like we do no, That's but why. literally just like a moon base and then werewolves that's all you need <laughs> and I would be like here is some money no I, I need the blu-ray yeah, I don't understand it myself. Frankly, Here's some I, I really questions don't. for you. Follow-up questions. Okay, are, if it obviously the you know in the right phase they turn into werewolves. If this if this ship say you actually got to the moon right and you put the ship on the moon, would they always be werewolves? Obviously, yes. Awesome. And uh, also, second follow-up question: are, are the werewolves always turning into wolves, or do they get to turn into other stuff? Are you talking about like were bears and like were crocodiles and shit? Exactly. Are you talking about yeah, no. I, I I'm gonna stick well actually you know what? I'm sure that there's a panoply of were beasts that you can turn into. <laughs> but for this scenario in particular, wolves. strictly werewolves. Understood. Strictly werewolves. Yes. You need them to fight as a pack. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess or so. Or do you want lone wolves? <laughs> Just a I hate dozen myself so wolves. much. No. No, no. Oh, oh. Third question. Okay. Is this a wolf, a werewolf mythology where it's possible for certain people to control their werewolfism to some degree? Yes, but not these ones in particular. Okay, so uh, they're at just least, uh, Well, uh, yes, but uh, with potential to be like, hey, maybe there is one on board who's like, hey, I can control it a little bit better. You know, cool. there, there, there's, always, there's always room in the narrative for something cool like that. You know, That one's the protagonist. Or not even necessarily a protagonist, but it's the anti-hero, the one who you think is a uh, is a baddie right up mm-hmm. until halfway through. Oh yeah, I can see this being where like the, the GM has like a die. He's like, okay, it's a D twenty. I'm gonna start counting down. That's how long you have until the page changes. If you all are dead by the end of it, well, you're screwed. 
Right. And then there's also like, are you transformed? Are you in the middle of being transformed? You know, or are you clean? Like, are you, you know, you're, yeah. you haven't been bitten, that type of thing. Uh, so uh, I do, I do have a question for y'all because we have moons that are essentially based on, you know, tremendous, you know, they're, they're forces of the universe. Does that affect how werewolves work in this particular setting? Obviously. Mm. And in what way? Time wolf. Right, but how does that manifest as a wolf, as a werewolf? That's I think question. their powers would be different, right? Because the moons give give the time wizards different powers. So maybe like a time wolf can blink in and out of existence, and like a reality That'd be a reality wolf. wolf. That'd be a reality, or a reality wolf. wolf. Yeah, for probability yeah. Or, or, like space maybe, wolf. or space wolf or space wolf. Maybe like the space wolf can get bigger and smaller and stuff like that. The world wolf. Oh, I I got where you're going for. I respect it. I'm gonna decline. <laughs> <laughs> oh, time wolves could go really fast, or they can maybe like cast slow on other people. I like the idea of a slow because now I'm thinking of imagine being trapped in a slow time bubble with a werewolf oh. as he slowly eats you. Way that, more is up. That's, yeah. that is so fucked up. That's a stalking. That's like a bad dream where you're like running in quicksand away oh. from a monster. Yes. No. 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 Imagine, imagine that it's like the bite of the werewolf slows down your perception of time. So it's like you're you're already dead, but you're still feeling the 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 slow like the basically the fangs sink into your flesh as slowly as possible, and you're trapped in this awful like nightmare realm of like time dilation and stuff like that. I mean, I would like that to just be a rumor that people also say. Just like, how would anyone know that? Just like, shut up, man. It's what I heard. Wizard told me. You could be bitten by a time wolf and then saved, but like, understand that, you know, that first fang entering your skin for the first two hours of your life, you know, like, Mm. that's how it felt anyway. They they could have their, maybe they don't have individual powers. Maybe their bites do different things to you. Like, you get bitten and by time wolf and it changes your perception to make it easier for the wolves to eat you. So, like, Everything's really sped up or really slow, so it's um, debilitating. Or I like that. yeah, or like the the space wolf could eat you, and maybe like I don't know, it does weird stuff to your body, and it's really hard for it to move. I don't know, um, it changes. Ooh, it the, gives you yeah. partial intangibil- intangibility. Yeah. So you're trying to run through the ground, but you're like your foot is going through it part of the way, mm-hmm. and it's just like oh, and it's like super disorienting because you're part like you can kind of use it to your advantage. But for the most part, it's just a horrible, just disorientating feeling. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Oh man! All right, I love all right. Wolves. Yeah, it, it, uh, space wolves, moon wolves. We got, we got werewolves. That's what I wanted to get out. Yeah. Chris, you can actually go now. Go right ahead. Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the idea that I had. Wait, was... wait, stop. Chris, thank you for being so brilliant all the time. I just want to tell you that and that I love you. And you can go ahead and on with your idea now. Daniel, do you have anything to say? Before we... <laughs> I guess not. Daniel, uh, Chris, go right ahead. The basis for what I had is kind of uh, based on uh, the game resistance or on Shadow Over Camelot slash One Night Werewolf kind of game 
where I wanted the setting to be where one person in the group is a traitor. So going off the idea of the like gunpowder plot, I wanted people to role play and be given roles and they don't know which one of them is the traitor because, or maybe none of them is the traitor, but to have that constantly the fear in maybe like a one shot setting to be what someone's constantly thinking of. Like, just like, what if the person I'm currently with to do X during this plot is the traitor and they don't want me to succeed. That's really fun. I, I feel like that's total. Oh, you could, you could set that right as the gunpowder plot is about to happen. Mm-hmm. And so oh, you yeah. can, you can, you can basically retell how history works and have it during a pivotal moment. Yeah. That that's really cool. Chris, that's a great idea. Also, I did want to point out that when you said resistance, my brain went to the PS three game where aliens take over the world during World War II. And I was very confused for a second. (laughs) Why? That's a weird pull, Chris, but okay. That is the name of the board game, though, right? I'm not like... It is okay. it, it, right, but again, my brain goes to video game first, after, unless it's like very obvious, but anyway. I like the um, perspectives that you could tell from story perspectives. So like you could tell the story from the perspective of the trader, even if you don't know who the trader is and alternate between that and the regular group. But I would also like the belief that no one necessarily knows whether there's even a trader in the midst, but you have to put it out there from the inception and just like, there may be a trader in your group who has like a different thing. Your job is to complete the mission. We tried to pick the people who are the most loyal to the party, but they're infarious, so maybe one of you is out there to fail. So please, oh, that would actually really work well if it was a, a rotating cast of characters as well. So kind of like a um, a West Marches style game, where Ooh. it's you have a large group of players to pull from, and you know maybe it's a matter of hey, we're going to choose these people to go on the mission. I think it, I think there is some real potential there for it to work in that style of game. Oh, and if there's actually never some interaction that you have to deal with with one of the other players, you could have it be like, yeah, he's the only person that came back from that. And it was actually almost like he, he is a loyal person, but everyone's just like, I don't think he's loyal because everyone else died. I, yeah, I think that's really important because, yeah, the, having a, a level of lethality to it, it would be very important for sure. Would they? Would the groups in this scenario, would the groups know who the traitor is from a player knowledge perspective? No, I would like it to be like complete, like, because there's also a chance that maybe there was no traitor and it's just someone who was unfortunate enough to survive or to have his party die. And then people just don't trust that person as much. It would make for an excellent story. Imagine if you were completely loyal, but you were fervently loyal and then someone thinks you're the traitor because you were the only person to survive. Yeah, and then how do you prove it? That would be yeah. neat. See, this this has the potential to be a real friend ruiner because imagine <laughs> so imagine like it's it's like session two of eight, right? And you're so sure that this one person is like a traitor. And for the next six sessions, you're like, this is the traitor. This, like just railing against him and like whatever machinations you have against him, that's what happens. And then like it turns out like it's session seven of eight. He's like, dude, I've never been the traitor. And then the real traitor is revealed or something like that. And then I can just imagine fist fights breaking out at the table here. 
even the inverse like what if you the trader like you knew you're the you know you're a trader you made really great friends with a couple of the pcs the whole time they really trust you and then when it matters like you're saying on session seven you fuck them all over could you imagine how pissed they'd be <laughs> that actually sounds it gives me so much easy. joy yeah, yeah i mean i could just see pushing the button and be like by the way i'm sorry i did it i did it <laughs> oh i love that this is okay so this session in particular has probably sparked the most i want to run that game out of any other session that we've had so far there has been like so many like i want to do that oh i want to do that time yeah, i want to do that Time Wolf yeah. Traders. That's what we should call it. <laughs> Time Wolf Traders Exploration Monster Hunt. Oh <laughs> yeah. Someone is the werewolf. <laughs> Someone is also the whale. It's <laughs> <laughs> a whale on your party. Oh, God. That's so dumb. I love it. <laughs> you mean the suspendido. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, that's, that's so good. Uh, uh. all right daniel just i know it's difficult but i know you can do it go ahead and and bring us home bring us on home with this one i had a um more boring one but i I, in the process of our talking i'm actually able to zoom in on something we brought up that i think i mentioned among the serialized fiction options um I'm thinking back to two different things. One is a game called Time Cops. Um, the other is a show called Sliders. Um, and so I I'm love thinking... Sliders. Oh my god, <laughs> yeah. I love Sliders. Crying, man. <laughs> so, or, or even best role. The, the, the Spanish um, Netflix show, I don't think it's by Netflix, um, I think it's called Time Crimes, um, that it deals oh. with time travel. Yeah, the, that's a movie, I, I thought, yeah. Time Crimes. Yeah, it's a movie. Um, my, the concept is that the secret guild slash cult in the service of the leader character slash um, faceless authoritarian, um, their cult is actually a set of time cops. Um, and these, these time cops or travelers, uh, their mission is to keep um, at least the continuum of the setting intact. In and the rest of the setting is unaware of maybe these fissures or, or in time that are a result of maybe, I don't know, lacking the other two moons. I think that the time moon is the one that's still floating, right? Yes. So we, we have lost the reality moon and we've lost the space moon. Maybe this has caused some kind of imbalance in the setting. And the time um, cop characters have to go on missions uh, whenever these rips in um, the reality are formed. Um, whether they're under the surface or they're in the sky and resolve them before they destroy the whole planet. Um, so you'd have kind of a recurring time cop uh, situation. What was How the do we keep going back game? to time cop? <laughs> oh, wait, no, it's not time cop. It's the one. I keep thinking of the one. Oh, yeah, the one. Yeah, yeah. Well, the one also works, but I'm thinking, like, because you could have probabilities, like, of, of different realities. Yeah. Um, I was thinking of the time cops from the video game, um, but... Time cop? Either one can work. Yeah. Time splitters. <laughs> yes. Oh, time splitters is a great series, except for after the set. The second one's the best one, but we're not getting in time splitters. I apologize. <laughs> what was the name of that card game that we played where we all accused each other of being the time traveling Indian? Oh, what was oh. That? I know what you're talking about. Yeah. What is that? Is it Chrono something or Chrono Knots? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, That's a great card game. 
you could use this concept too to uh, visit uh, visit other flavors of the same setting. So, like for example, you could go from a setting where the um, empire exists and is governed by this authoritarian entity, and maybe they travel to another setting where the empire doesn't exist, and they've got to retrieve something from there. So you could you could visit maybe the distant past um, when before the moons fell. Um, and maybe there's some restrictions on what you can do because of that, but you have more flexibility to do weird stuff with it. That'd be fun. If you are going to introduce time travel of any any manner, though, you have to do so like session one. Yes. <laughs> Mainly <laughs> I because <laughs> I have seen, like, I've heard stories of people where, like, session eight or whatever, so it's just like, oh, yeah, you've got to spin have been time traveling this entire time. I just have to make it known. And it's just like, what? No. <laughs> yeah, that's silly. <laughs> You've interacted with people. Uh-huh. Things would be slightly different. If if you go the time route, you'd have to like establish parameters too. Like, is this um, a timeline where um, the timeline gets rewritten? Is it a timeline of multiple universes, kind of like the sliders? Is it um, you know a Back to the Future setup? Um, that way, maybe like maybe the the time city is the only one unaffected by the changes. Yeah, there's a lot of things you could do to kind of keep things consistent, um, but you definitely would need to do something. That is a setting in itself where the city is the only stable thing. Yeah. Because it's mm-hmm. on the slight on the rock. Moon. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe the moon and, and the, the rock that they're on are the only consistent things immune to these changes. I'm, yeah, I'm down with this idea. I mean, my original idea was time travel is way more difficult, but fuck it. I mean, it's not my idea, <laughs> but you know. And you could, I mean, maybe you could make it totally fucked up. Maybe you could tell like, you know what? I don't even care if there's a principle that resolves the timeline. (laughs) I think if you turn it into sliders, then suddenly it can be goofy. It can be fine. (laughs) You like just constantly have it. It just like, man, why is everyone a fascist every time we go everywhere? (laughs) What are we doing? (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, I think that's going to just about do it for this episode. Uh, as I said before, definitely the most chock full of awesome ideas that I definitely want to fuck around with later uh, compared to just about anything else. So in that regard, you know, great job. Excellent job, everyone, uh, especially everyone listening. And remember that this whole series has been brought to you by listener Gluax Speed. And if you ever want to send us your own, if you want to be part of this, you want to help us create worlds you can always go ahead and email us at worldbuildwithus at gmail.com, or you can go ahead and send us a tweet at Let's World Build. And please do. I mean, th- this is part of what we love so much about do- about the show is the fact that you give us ideas and we create as much as possible. It The fact that it's so driven by you all is is part of what makes it so fulfilling for, for us. I can't, I mean, I'm going to speak for the rest of them because I've muted them, but but in all honesty, it is, it's probably one of my favorite things about the podcast, if not, you know, my favorite thing about it, but remember that, uh, you know, we're, we're going to come back next week and we have another listener email that is quite a doozy and it's going to be a one shot, but it, it'll be fun. I think, I think, I think it'll be, uh, Oh, it's going to be an episode. Let, let, me just put it, let me just put it that way. And we'll see you next week. Remember that we love you very much and we're all in this together. <laughs>